And let's uh, turn to God's Word this morning. If you uh, would look at, we're going to look at two brief Scripture passages, the first one from Matthew chapter 3, and then also from John chapter 15, Matthew 3 and John 15. As I mentioned, uh, we're going to start a series this morning on prayer. And uh, let me just say as an introduction, one of the criticisms of the Heidelberg Catechism is that it doesn't say enough about the Holy Spirit, that there's not a lot written there about the Holy Spirit. But once you actually begin to read through the Catechism and, and study it, you'll find that the Holy Spirit comes up again and again and again just about in every question and answer, even though those question and answers may not be directly teaching about the Holy Spirit. A similar thing can be said about prayer and the Bible. Oftentimes, we look at the Bible and we think, well, there's not a tremendous amount of material here that that teaches about prayer or how to pray and those kinds of things. But when you actually begin to read Scripture and, and study the Bible, you will find that it's sort of like the air you breathe. It's, it's on every page. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And um, that's one of the things I hope we'll discover as we, as we spend um, a number of weeks on this topic of, of prayer. So this morning, we're going to begin in chapter 3 of Matthew. And uh, we'll read about Jesus' baptism here. So beginning with verse 13, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come, or, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then if you turn over to John chapter 15, and we'll just look at verse, verses 16 and 17 there. You did not choose me, said Jesus, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, perhaps you've been to a restaurant downtown called the Safe House. It's based on a, on a spy theme, and so, um, so you can't even get in the door unless you actually know the password that gets you in. And of course, if you don't know the password, then you have to prove to the operative at the door that you're actually one of their agents by, by doing all sorts of goofy tasks, all sorts of embarrassing kinds of tasks. You see, you either have to know the password or you have to prove yourself worthy, right, to get in the door. There's a similar theme in one of my favorite uh, comic strips, Calvin and Hobbes. 
Calvin and Hobbes, they start this uh, clubhouse of theirs. It's up in a treehouse, and it's mainly for the purpose of excluding um, Calvin's little neighbor girl, Susie. But uh, they have a password to get into the clubhouse. Actually, Hobbes has a password to get into the club because he's the one who can climb the tree, and he has to let down the ladder for Calvin to get in. And so the whole thing kind of backfires on Calvin because he stands there wanting to get in, and Hobbes says, well, you've got to know the password. And the password is actually not just one word. It's not even one verse. It comes in stanzas, different verses. It goes like this. Tigers are mean, tigers are fierce, tigers have teeth and claws that pierce. That's verse 1. Verse 2, tigers are great, they can't be beat. If I was a tiger, that would be neat. That's verse 2. It goes all the way down to verse 6. Tigers are nimble and light on their toes. My respect for tigers continually grows. That's still not good enough. There's more. The final verse, at least we think, there might be more. Tigers are great. They're the toast of the town. Life's always better with tigers around. That's the password to get into the clubhouse. You either have to know the password or you have to be a tiger, I suppose, and prove yourself. It's all about access, right? Access to the club. But it goes beyond that. Access to influence. Access to power, to the good life, and then there's the ultimate access of all, access to God. Is it possible to have access to the king of the universe, the one who created it all, the one who created you? Is it possible? And if so, what is that access? Is it a word? Is it a phrase? Is it proving yourself worthy somehow? You see, this is something that we need to know if we are going to pray. In fact, if we're even going to be inspired to pray at all, we have to know right up front, do we actually have access to God? Now, a lot of people pray, right? They just don't know if anyone's listening. They don't know if anyone is there to hear them, to answer them, to act. Some people, some people pray sort of as a, a means of therapy. They pray to get in touch with themselves, right? They pray to get in touch with the universe. They don't pray to a personal God or to a living being, and they don't really even expect someone to actually answer their prayers. In fact, they might fall off their chairs if someone did answer. But it's, it's a form of prayer, other people pray because they've run out of other options, right? Maybe there's a God, maybe not. Maybe he's listening, maybe he isn't. Can we really know? And so for, their, for them, excuse me, prayer is more like a, a full-court heave, right? He threw up a prayer and he hoped someone would answer. Or maybe it's more like an emergency flare. It's something we fire up into the sky when we're in trouble, and we hope that someone will see it. Is Christian prayer really any different from that? For instance, is it really possible to talk to God? Can we really know that that? that he listens to us, that he pays attention, that he cares? I mean, is it possible to truly have access 
to the throne of heaven? Well, Jesus says that it is. We read it in John's Gospel. He instructs us to pray in his name. And we find that instruction not just in chapter 15. You find it in 14, 15, and 16. It appears in each one. And to summarize, Jesus basically says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Or whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. The Father will do. Just ask. And whatever it is, he will answer. Ask in his name. The trouble is, we tend to mishear Jesus in these chapters, I think. We tend to interpret his words and interpret Jesus through Disney eyes. And, and in Jesus' name becomes, you know, open sesame, where you just need to know the magic phrase, and it's good enough, you're in. You have access. Many years ago, someone actually asked me that question. She said, if I don't include those actual words at the end of my prayer, if I don't say in Jesus' name, that I'm praying in Jesus' name, does God actually hear my prayer? Will God actually answer me? And, and for her, it was a very sincere question. I mean, she was afraid that if she didn't say those exact three words, God would not hear or answer her prayer. And maybe you've wondered the very same thing. But that is a very mechanical interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. I do think there's a very good reason that we need to actually say those, those words when we pray, but the idea isn't that the words themselves somehow grab God's attention. I mean, God is not like a computer that you type in the password and he boots up and comes to life. It's not what we're talking about here. And so as we begin this series today, I just want to ask ourselves, I want us to ask, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? And, and we're going to look at three things this morning. First of all, it's about content. Second, it's about confidence. And third, it's about dependence. All right, content, confidence, and dependence. First of all, content. When Jesus is telling us to pray in his name, He's actually encouraging us to pray more, to pray more often, to pray more sincerely. He's pushing us into a deeper relationship with God, with his Father in heaven. But if we're not careful on the content front, on what we're actually asking for, what we're praying, the very opposite to that can happen, can be the result. All right, what I mean is this, if you focus too much on that word whatever, okay, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, then you're going to be disappointed. You're going to feel defeated, at least in some regard, so much so that you'll likely give up praying, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus intends here, Okay. But how many times, friends, how many times have you thought to yourself, look, I asked and I asked for God to help me win the lottery and someone else won. I haven't won yet. Or I asked God to find me a wife and I'm still alone. Or I asked God to cure me of my cancer and I'm still sick. I asked this, 
I asked this, and it didn't happen, right? And so Jesus must be wrong here. He's telling me a lie. It's not whatever I ask. And so rather than becoming more confident in prayer, we're defeated, and we give up. We quit. Say, I'm not going to bother with that anymore. But friends, if that's what we understand when Jesus says whatever, then we're mishearing him, we're misunderstanding him. And it's all about context, okay? Whenever you read scripture, this is a free tip, okay? Whenever you read scripture, put it in context. You can't just rip out the words and think they mean something that you get to provide the context for. Put them in context. And you see, in these chapters of John, and and actually throughout the whole Gospel of John, Jesus emphasizes his intimate relationship with his Father in heaven. Jesus says he knows the Father's mind. He knows the Father's will, and vice versa. The Father knows him. Jesus says whatever the Father wants said. And Jesus does whatever the Father wants done. They share their heart and their mind. And so Jesus' main motivation in whatever he does is to glorify the Father. It's to be obedient to the Father, to prove the Father as the true God over all gods. Now, as we put our trust, our belief, Okay? In Jesus Christ, what he says is that you and I enter into that incredible relationship with him and his Father. Okay? We get to enter into that. We get to become a part of that family with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just like Jesus, our main desire becomes the desire for God to be glorified. That's Jesus' main desire. That actually becomes our main desire in life. That's the one thing that we long for, that we desire beneath all of our other longings and desires. And that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Okay? It means that we long for whatever might glorify the Father. And it means that we come under the influence of Jesus, right? We don't just automatically come to know whatever the Father wants, whatever is the Father's will. That doesn't happen automatically. Rather, Jesus becomes our guide. He becomes our teacher, and he teaches us what to pray for. We pray under the influence of Jesus Christ. You see, being united with Jesus Christ, trusting in him, believing him, you can't actually do that without Jesus. You come under his influence so that he can teach us. And one of the things he teaches us is how to pray the will of God. What does that look like? Let me just give you one example, right? A few weeks ago, Rick uh, Britton, he preached on John 15, right? Jesus as the vine. Think of that text. We just read a couple verses from it today. But Jesus' words in that chapter can guide our prayers. Like this, Jesus, help us to appreciate you being the real root of the matter. 
Jesus, help us to bear fruit and to bear the cutting back that this will often mean. Help us to appreciate your word that cleansed us and that keeps cleansing us. Help us to accept your invitation to make our home with you. Help us to take to heart the warnings you give us about the dangers of of not sticking with you. When was the last time you prayed that? Help us to bear fruit that lasts and so to bring glory to the Father. We'll talk more about the content of our prayers throughout this series, so I'm not going to get into it much now, but look at the prayers of Jesus himself. Look at John 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer, right? He prays for the glory of God. He prays for the unity of the church around the truth that is Jesus. He prays for the mission of the church, that the gospel will go out and the Father will gather his people in. Do you pray for those things? Look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Pray for, pray for God's name to be recognized as holy, like that song we sang in the beginning of our worship service. Pray for his kingdom to come. Pray that his will will be done right here on the earth. Let Jesus' words permeate you and saturate your mind until whatever you ask in his name, he will do. And you'll be surprised how whatever you ask in that context is actually whatever. He will do it. That's content, all right? The content of in Jesus' name. The second thing about praying in Jesus' name, this is about confidence. It's praying in confidence, all right? So let's just think now for a moment about Matthew chapter 3 and the text that we read there, Jesus' baptism. And think about God's words. This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. I am so pleased. You know, there are, there are all sorts of places in the Old Testament where God refers to people as his sons. All right? In Exodus, uh, he calls Israel his firstborn son. In, in Hosea, he says, out of Egypt I called my son Israel again. He refers to Kings David and Solomon as his sons, okay? But none of these sons actually lives up to that status, to the status of being a son. None of them loves God. None of them trusts God in such a way as to be truly called his sons, his sons. Graham Goldsworthy, however, says that when God speaks from heaven at Jesus' baptism, those words that we just read, okay, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He says, he says when God says that, you can almost hear heaven sigh with relief. For here, finally, at last, is a true son. One who can and will perfectly trust and obey and please the Father. 
Finally, at last, here is a true son. Jesus is that true son of God. Now, now Jesus must undergo the baptism of John because John's baptism is the bar, okay? It's the standard for obedience. All of us have to live up to that bar. And every one of us as human beings, every one of us cannot do it. That bar would destroy us, okay? But not Jesus. Jesus stands tall before the requirements of God. Jesus was baptized in our place. He fulfilled all righteousness for us. Jesus is the perfect son. Perfect in obedience, perfect in trust, perfect in love, perfectly pleasing to the Father. Everything the Father wants, everything that the Father desires in His Son, that's what Jesus gives. And as the true Son of God, Jesus has real, deserved access to the Father. Okay? He's the only one who has real, deserved access to the Father. Jesus is the only one who can pray with confidence like he does in the Gospel of John in chapter 11 when he stands before the tomb of Lazarus. And what does he say? He says, Father, I knew that you always hear me. Jesus is the only one who can have that kind of confidence, that kind of certainty. Father, I knew that you always hear me. You always hear me. Jesus knows. He has no doubts. The Father hears him. Jesus has access. And friends, when you and I are united to Jesus in faith, what's true for Jesus is true for all of us. For every one of us. If Jesus has perfect Access, the perfect and secure access of a perfectly obedient child, then so do we. Then so do we. In Jesus' name, we can stand before any tomb and say, Father, I know that you always hear me. Friends, this is the confidence that we need to have in prayer. When we turn to the Father in prayer, we go with the same confidence that Jesus does. Jesus' access is our access. And just as the Father would never turn away from him, he never would turn away from us. And so pray, because you have access. Pray. Now, we pray with confidence but we also pray with humble dependence. We can't forget this one. Tim Keller gives an example of what I mean here. Uh, he gives the example of Dr. R.A. Torrey, who was an American preacher, and at this time he was preaching in Melbourne, Australia, and before he spoke one day as a visitor, he received this note. This is what it said. It said, Dear Dr. Torrey, I am in great perplexity. I've been praying for a long time for something that I am confident is according to God's will. Okay, he's confident in the content of that prayer. 
I'm confident that it's according to God's will, but I don't get it. I've been a member of the Presbyterian Church for 30 years, he says, and I've tried to be a consistent member all that time. I've been superintendent in the Sunday school for 25 years and an elder in the church for 20 years. Okay, this is Presbyterians. And yet, God does not answer my prayer, and I can't understand it. Can you explain it to me, he asks. What about you? Could you explain it to him? What would you say? Whose name is that man praying in? Is he praying in Jesus' name? Or is he praying in his own name? Did you hear it? He's praying on his own achievements. I've been a regular attender for 30 years. I've been Sunday school leader for 25. I've been an elder for 20 God, you should be listening to me. He's praying on his own achievements, on his own goodness, on his own commitment and dedication. He's praying in his own name. Jesus calls us to pray in his name. To stand before God, not on our own achievements, but on Jesus' achievements. Not on our own goodness, but on Jesus' goodness. Not on our own works, but on Jesus' works. But how often, friends, don't, don't we slip into this sort of thing, right? God, I, I just gave a really nice gift to the church. Hear my prayer. God, I just forgave my brother. Hear my prayer. God, I, I sacrificed my whole career for my kids. Hear my prayer. God, I stayed with that miserable man of a husband for decades. I deserve this. How often don't we really pray in a, our own names? A prayer in Jesus' name is a prayer that humbly depends on Jesus completely. Depends on his obedience. We have no claims on God. No claims. Only Jesus does. This is why I said earlier, we still need to actually voice those words at the end of our prayers in Jesus' name. They're not magic words. Just uttering them is not going to make God tune into our prayers anymore. But every time we say those words, they're really, they're a reminder for us, aren't they? That we don't stand before God on our own credibility. I don't stand before God on my own record. We stand before God only on the record of Jesus Christ. And that's enough. It's a reminder that we need over and over and over again. We need it. And so we say it. Not tigers are great. 
Not, I am great. Jesus is great. That's what gives us access to our Father. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are reminded again this morning as we look at these tables before us that you are great. And only you are the perfectly obedient son. Only you are the son that is pleasing to your father. Only you have access. But Lord, just as we repeat those words in Jesus' name to remind us that it's in Jesus that we too have access, we repeat this meal over and over and over again until until it begins to sink in. That your perfect obedience has become our perfect obedience. That your oneness with the Father has become our oneness with the Father when we put our trust and our belief completely in you, in your work for us, in your suffering on the cross, your sacrificial death, your mighty resurrection. It's all yours that has become ours. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.